0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, uh, I'll tell you something, I, I, I was standing, I give a little talk before uh, the morning uh, prayers, uh, Shabbos morning, and uh, someone came up to me, a, 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 a rabbi, a very super knowledgeable rabbi who r- really knows the, the entire Talmud in his head, and uh, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's really wonderful to see. Um, how he is uh secretive about it. Because, you know, there, there there are certain things that you're allowed according to Halacha, which remember we say Torah emet, meaning to say that it's the Torah of truth. So truth is a very uh very uh huge priority. But but there's also the truth as it applies to um circumstances. So so uh, we've touched on this idea before in the past, but one of the areas where the the greater truth comes out by not giving the complete truth, Whoa. if you follow if you followed what I just said, is in hiding your learning. Wow. So in other words, um, someone isn't really supposed to uh, be as forward with as much as they know, and that's actually a greater expression of truth because there's a um, there's beyond a modesty there, um, there's sort of the, 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 an, an articulation of one can't know everything by hiding how much you do know. So I'll, I'll be a little more specific, so it'll be a little clearer. So I, I forgot the name of the rabbi, but one of our great rabbis, someone came up to him and said, I understand that you know the entire Talmud. and um, he's, And he did, by the way. And and he he said um, no 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 no. He said I, ju- I just know half. And they said asked him which half. He said either half. <laughs> 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 so so, <laughs> <laughs> so this, that's 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 one expression of it. And I've I've had the privilege. I don't want to mention his name because obviously he is so uh, modest. So it would it would be it would defeat the purpose. But. But he's one of these people. I've had the privilege to see it in action, and if you ask him where anything is in the entire Talmud, he knows right away. I've seen it repeatedly. He knows right away. But here's the very beautiful, sweet thing: is that he'll go, "Oh, I don't, I don't know, I don't. Maybe it's, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, uh, bruchas uh, page uh, 38, 39, right around there, right around there." You know, and, um, you know, he, so the, the, I, I've seen him do this repeatedly. He, he First, his first thing is to pretend that he absolutely doesn't know. But then he he also wants to be able to provide the answer for you, right? Because that's to increase Torah learning. And then he goes, oh, it just, and then he just happens to know. Right? So this person came up to me and um, and with an open Talmud, yesterday right right before we were starting to da- daven and he he points something he's pointing that he wants me to read something so you know that doesn't happen every day right and and he was pointing now in we had um we just read parsha's t- tazria and it's talking about um language how to how to speak properly right and this is you know we we've talked about speech many times speech is so incredibly deep because Remember with your speech you're creating things. Remember God God created God created us in His image right Now that, that doesn't mean that God has a body. God doesn't have a body, right God makes bodies. but God gave us certain abilities, certain attributes which are godly. free choice is one of those one of those things. Another thing is the ability to create and and God <laughs> God created the world through speech, through 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 ten utterances, um, and uh, and with our speech we have the ability to create as well. So so you see, and again we've we've talked about it, but I just want to give this as an introduction to 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 what he pointed in the Talmud for me to read, and then just tell you a P.S. to this, which is that um, remember. Perception creates reality. Say it again. Perception creates reality. So what that means is like, just to give you a very bread and butter example of it, an all too common example of this. Let's say you're at a um, a gathering of people and and there's some new people there that you don't know or maybe some people that you do know, whatever it is, and, and, and someone says to you, you see that person over there? That person is really not a good person. Right, and gives you the details. Now you don't really even know that person, but now from now on, when you look at that person, you look at that person as not a nice person. Now you're not going to be friends with that person. And your entire reality has been created through that person's speech. So, so through speech, you've changed someone's reality. And now, listen to this. It's this is very very deep. You have now created a new world for that person where that person is a bad person. So that, just like God created the world through speech, you through your speech have now created a new world, a new reality, where that person is now a bad person. And now that's going to reroute all sorts of human interactions. That's going to have many, many domino effects right in terms of who deals with that person and then maybe you'll share that information with someone else and of course when you share that person with someone else that information with someone else you think you're a hero right look what i've done i'm so great i've saved that person from interacting with someone who could hurt them meanwhile this person could be totally innocent right you know there's a classic story i'm sure you've all heard it but just in case you haven't it's it's so good Someone came to the Chovitz Chaim, and, you know, the Chovitz Chaim was really the, um, the greatest sort of publicizer of, of, this, of this mitzvah of Lashon Hara, you know, meaning to say of really trying to clean up our speech. Um, and someone came up to him and said, you know something, uh, I, 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 I spoke Lashon Hara, I spoke against this person, and um, what can I do to fix it? And the Chofetz Chaim said, "You know, go to this hilltop, which I guess was nearby, and take a a, a, a pillow, right? You know, which is filled with uh, feathers. You know, take a pillow, rip it open, and throw it up into the air, right? So this seemed very weird. I don't know. Maybe this is something mystical that he's trying to teach. Who who knows what it is? Like, why 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 do that, right? But the person does it, and then." goes back to the rabbi and, and, and says to the Chovetz Chaim, I did it. The Chovitz Chaim says, okay, good. Now go back and gather up all the feathers. And the person says, what are you talking about? They've been blown absolutely everywhere. He says, yeah, that's right. That's, that, that is what happens with our speech. You, you put something out into the world, and it gets repeated, and it gets sent, and everything like this. How do you track it down? So, so, speech, and we talk about, the, the, these are all examples of um, the power of speech, how you can create worlds by, by, by changing perception, and then once you have that perception, that influence your, influences your action, or even dictates your, dictates your action, because now you're not going to do this, and you're not going to do that based on what you heard. So it's come down from the realm of thought into speech, down into action now. Right? These are all the garments of reality. Thought, speech, and action. And now it's in the realm of being applied. So it's very, very significant. Okay, now I want to tell you what, what the rabbi showed me in the Talmud. Okay? So with, with that is an introduction. You see, the, the um, offering that you would bring to the Holy Temple, to the Besa Migdash, is you would bring two turtle doves. Okay, that was one of the, the ways of fixing your, your misuse of speech. So he pointed to a, uh, uh, a footnote that said from the Zohar, the Zohar wants to explain why two turtle doves. Okay, so it says, and this is going to give us another perspective now. One is for what you said, right? One of the birds, and again, birds like the, the, like the feathers, right? Um, maybe it's just occurring to me now, but maybe this was part of what the Chovitz Chaim had in mind, just like a bird has feathers, right? Just like the feathers fly around, a bird flies around, right? So that's, I think, maybe the same idea. So um, just like, so one of the birds stands for, <laughs> for what you didn't say properly. But now listen to this. The second bird is to atone for the positive thing that you could have said that you didn't say. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You hear that? Yeah, yeah, you hear that? This is this is very amazing. In the Talmud, it says that. Uh, this is the Zohar explaining the the Korban. This is the Zohar explaining the meaning behind the two turtle doves. So you see, what, what that what that shows you is that we have this amazing capacity to say something positive. And, and then, that, and that, you know, a lot of times we spend so much time concentrating on the negative, meaning to say, don't do that. That's destructive. Don't do that. Don't do that. But, but we don't always concentrate so much on the positive. That Look at what our potential is. Look at our greatness that we have inside of us, right? So we have in our mouths this world-creating machine can you imagine that, what if I came up to you and I said to you, you know, you can create worlds, and you go, oh, I understand, but you mean by having children, right? Well, kind of, yeah, that's, that's one category, but what if I told you you're creating worlds every single day, that you have a world-creating mechanism with you at all times? This is, this is really, this is phenomenal if you meditate on that a little bit, it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And what's contained within that is creating positive worlds. That you can go up to someone and say, you see that guy over there? He needs a friend. <laughs> see that guy over there? Just, uh, he I don't know, he looks down and out. Give him, give him a nice hello. Or, you see that guy over there? He's never been here before. Right? Make him feel welcome. Right? Now, all of a sudden, it's like, it's a new world it's a new world ok so now here's the PS so that was at the very beginning of Shabbos right Shabbos morning that was at the very beginning so I'm just about now to Davin Marv ok now that you remember how big the Talmud is the Talmud is if you learn one page a day it takes you seven years to go through it ok it's enormous the Talmud is enormous. So now I'm getting ready to Davin Mariv later on in that day, same day, the end of Shabbos. Someone else completely, who, who wasn't there in the morning. Someone else comes up to me. I'm about to Davin. He's standing in the exact same spot. He's got an open Talmud. He says, read this. And he points to the exact same oh, come on. Zohar. <laughs> Zohar. And I and I was I, I was like, what? I said so. I, I said, you know, this rabbi showed me that earlier today. He said, yeah, he showed me too. <laughs> he said, what so, so I wanted to show you. <laughs> So I figured, I figured, listen, if two different people are pointing out the same thing, I better share it with you guys. You know, obviously 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 people need to hear that, Or if I obviously mean, I need to hear it. So if I if I need to hear it, I might as well tell you too. So um so anyway, say something positive. Say something positive. And it reminds me, it reminds me of uh, you know, uh something that I heard from, from Rabbi Tatz many years ago. And he was talking about um, going through life. And he, he gave this as a uh as, a Marshall, as, a, as an example. And he said, you know, he was trying to talk about, um, you know, our, our mission in life and, 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 and the role of the Torah and things like this. So he was saying it's kind of like um, you, you have to drive, I don't know what, what places, he said, let's say from New York to California, you have to, you have to drive and um, you've got this truck, and you have to learn how to, the laws of driving, right? So, you know, that's a stoplight, and that's a yield sign, and, you know, this is how many miles an hour you could go to this, this is a double yellow line, you know, you have to learn all the different things, you know, in order to drive uh, legally. So, imagine you learn the rules and everything like this, right? And again, he's likening this to the Torah mitzvahs, to the different um, ways that we live our life. And he says, you get to California, and you get there successfully, right? It's amazing. Like, you, you, you made it, and you, you, you did it. And then you, you, you park your truck, and then the person says, well, where's the merchandise? Meaning, you, you drove all the way here in order to bring something here to unload it. You mean you just drove here, and you didn't bring the thing that you're supposed to give? See, in other words, we have two twin aspects to our life. We have the things that we shouldn't do, right? And again, a lot of times we're concentrating on that. But there's all the stuff that we're also supposed to do, <laughs> that are unique talents and unique gifts that we've been given in order to deliver into the world. So can you imagine you make this enormous trip, this epic trip, Right? It can take you, what, 70, 80, 100 years to take the trip, and you didn't bring the thing. So a person has to be very focused. Again, this is like the two turtle doves, not just the stuff that you're not supposed to say, but the stuff that you are supposed to say, the things that I am supposed to do, the gifts that I have, the talents that I have, and every single person has been gifted with with different attributes. And these are the things that you are supposed to deliver into the world. And, and, and can you imagine, like you take a long trip and then they say, so where's the thing? Ah, right? So we don't want to be that person. We don't want to be that person. So, um, okay. So, so let's go further. I want to talk on a different subject now because we're in a very, um, very amazing period of the year right now. Um, it always seems like we're in an amazing period of the year. You know, by the way, that was really one of the one of the absolute uh, joys of learning with um, Reb Shlomo Karlbach was that uh, he he just whatever it was, it was you know, like if it was Lagba Omer it was absolutely the holiest day of the year. And then if it was, you know, Shavuos, absolutely the holiest day of the year. And Pesach, it's absolutely the holiest day of the year, Tubishvat, It's absolutely the holiest day of the entire year, and you would listen to him learn it, and it was, it was. He was right. He, every single moment was absolutely the holiest day of the year. There, there was no, there, there was no way around it. So so, um, but that really comes from an appreciation and a and a, and a knowledge of, of of the present, because basically we're engulfed in godliness. And, and, and every single one of these dates is a different access point into the infinite. And that being the case, you know, if you're entering into the infinite, it is the holiest. But it's just a question of from what angle are you approaching it, right? But each one is an authentic entrance into like the Holy of Holies, basically. So, so one of these entrance points that we don't talk about so much but it's really like the holiest, is the first day of the month of Nisan. And we just had it, right? It was on Shabbos this year. It was just yesterday. So Nisan is, remember, Nisan comes from the word nes, which means a miracle, right? So it's, it's the month that we leave Egypt. It's the month of miracles. It's the first month of the year. It's, it's totally awesome. The first day of the month of Nisan is the day that the Mishkan... The sanctuary in the desert was was open for business. Right? They had been building it and building it and they finally they finally like opened it, right? That that and there was a lot, a lot of stuff building up to that. Incredible. Remember the the Mishkan, the, the, the sanctuary was was a portal between heaven and earth. Right? And it was it was and it was a place where if anyone made any mistakes they could come and Totally, you know, totally be cleansed and, and 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 fixed. So so it was really really amazing. But but let's go deeper, okay? You see, there are two opinions as to when the world was actually created, and the Talmud discusses both of them. W- one is uh, what we call Rosh Hashanah which is which is uh, the first day of the first uh, the first day of the month of Tishrei. and we're very used to thinking of Rosh Hashanah as being like the creation of the world but there's another opinion in the Talmud which is that no it was really the first day of the month of Nisan so the the first day of the month of Nisan and then the rabbis come and they, 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 they reconcile it they say well they're probably both true meaning that in, in one example God created the world in the realm of thought, and in one, he created the world in the realm of action. Okay, so you have, they're both kind of paralleling each other. And in fact, you have 12 months of the year, and one of the systems, one of the paradigms of just sort of like, just understanding the world, is to align the two six months together. And so, if you look, not coincidentally, Tishrei lines up with Nisan. they're both exactly six months apart. So, so, so that's that's another parallel between the two. But again, let's go deeper. So we know this is something that that I just learned, and 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 I'm gonna add to it a little because it kind of blew my mind, which is well, there's so much to say on this, but. Let me just lay this out, which is that the first day of the month of Nisan is a very, very special birthday for us, uh, the Jewish people, because it's the day that we got our first mitzvah as a nation. Okay? And in fact, you know the famous Rashi, which which is... Rashi asks the question on the very first, um, uh, the very opening of the the Torah. He says, why does the Torah begin with a description of the creation of the world? Why doesn't the Torah begin with the very first mitzvah that we received as a nation? Which is the mitzvah that we got on the first day of Nisan? You see, there's a, do, do you understand? There's a very interesting alignment here. Because we're saying that on the one hand, God created the, the world in thought, and God created the world in deed. There are two, there are two separate beginnings. And now in the beginning of the Torah, we're talking, about, we're talking about the creation of the world. God created the heavens of the earth in the beginning, right? But Rashi's asking a question right over there. What? And why aren't, we, why aren't we bringing the first mitzvah, which happened on the first day of, the, of, of, of Nisan? So you have the two beginnings of the world both being referenced right in the beginning of the Torah right there. Now, I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon that with the word Breshis, God created time itself. And this is something that physicists have now arrived at fairly recently, which is that time is a creation. Time is a construct. It's not that there was always time. There was just always time. No, time is actually an invention, a creation. And with the word breishis, God created time. So, so how interesting then that on the word breishis, Rashi is bringing the question, why not bring the first mitzvah here instead at the beginning of the Torah? And what's the first mitzvah? that you should make a calendar, which is all about us and time, our relationship and time. So he's bringing that on the word brachis. Now, now I've referenced to you before, i mentioned to you before, but I, I, I still don't know the name of the rabbi, so I feel bad about that, but, but, but someone clearly very great said, why is it that we got as a first mitzvah when we're leaving Egypt, when we're leaving being slaves, the mitzvah to make a calendar. And he said that the reason is because a slave doesn't have control over their own time. But a free person, what, what defines a free person is that they can control their time, how they use their time. See, it shows you how <coughs> valuable time is. And my, my son had a... Um, a Shabbos program, and, and Rabbi um, Saffron, one of his teachers, pointed out something, like, just, like, just almost, <coughs> almost shocking, almost shocking, which is, if you know who Michael Phelps is, Swimmer, he, He's the most um, decorated uh, gold medalist in, in Olympic history. He has the most gold medals of anyone in Olympic history. And when he raced um, in the last Olympics, there was someone and and he said he said his name, and he said, "Does anyone know who this is?" And no one knew who it was right your kids. no one no one no one knew who it was um and you know i mean it's it's sad that I heard the name last night i I can't even repeat the name right now. if you look it up on the internet, you'll find it but 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 it's almost it almost makes the point stronger that i I can't even tell you his name right now, right. He lost one of the races against Michael Phelps, the one where Michael Phelps ended up being the most decorated Olympian ever, by one one-hundredth of a second. One one-hundredth of a second was the difference between him stopping the greatest swimmer of all time at the height, at the height of his epic career, and becoming someone whose name I don't even remember right now, and I heard it last night. One one-hundredth of a second. And I asked, I asked my son, I was like, it gave me like the chills when I heard that, you know. I said to him, what, what, um, what lesson did he, did he want to teach from that? <laughs> right? Because I could imagine you could make a lot of different points based on that. And he said how valuable time is it? And I was like, yep, that's good. You can stop right there. That's, I'm, I'm happy. I got my money's worth, you know? That's, yeah. That's, wow. Now think about how we spend our days. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's humiliating, actually. It's, humili- it's humiliating. It's humiliating. Um, so... So this is, this is the idea that, that the very first mitzvah that we get is to be in charge of time. Right? That's And that that is totally integral to our freedom. And then, of course, it implies the proper use of time. Now, I just want to tell you, just because the, the implications of this um, halachically are very amazing. And I just want to give you one example of this. What it means is, is that we made the calendar, and we would wait to see the, um, the new moon emerge, right? Because the moon gets small, and then it gets big, it becomes a full moon, and then it goes down to nothing, and then the process starts again. When the process starts again, that's called the new moon, and that's the beginning of the new month, okay? Okay. So the the Chachamim, the sages, were so advanced. They were super advanced to the point where, by modern technology, it's like 2.00 something decimal places they knew back then. And they say that it, it had to be prophetic. It had to be through prophetic knowledge that they were able to be that exact that long ago because the instrumentation didn't exist for them to be that that, that, that eerily precise, to this day, the records stand up. So, so as soon as the merest fraction of the new moon would emerge, they would understand that that's the, the new month is beginning. Now, that means, let's, let's go to Tishrei now, right? Because Tishrei has lots of holidays in it, right? It's got Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Sukkot, right? Lots and lots of stuff. So, so but, but let's talk about Yom Kippur for a moment, all right? The human beings would then be responsible for saying, this is the beginning of the month. Now, let's say, let's say we were wrong. Let's just say we were wrong, okay? It was cloudy, something like this, and we were wrong. So that means that maybe we would declare the month of Tishrei starting where in absolute, sort of like heavenly terms, Tishrei really started the day before. So let's continue that thought. That means that we would be celebrating Yom Kippur and fasting and bringing all the offerings on the wrong day. Let's say we would be bringing it on the 11th of Tishrei instead of the 10th of Tishrei, which is Yom Kippur. So... So, what would that mean? Like, basically, that means everyone is going to be eating on the holiest day of the year. And all the forgiveness that's coming down from heaven, we have absolutely not created a vessel in order to receive that divine flood. So, the rabbis explain something amazing, which is that Hashem goes by whatever we say the beginning of the month is. Which means that all of the angels in heaven wait for us to declare the month, and then they do what they do according to what we're doing. So, so, if, so you, you, you understand the implications of making, on just this one level, of making a calendar is that we're controlling the divine flow of the entire universe. This is, this is very amazing. This is not just, oh, my job is to set the clock, I listen to the radio, and if the dashboard clock in my car is a little bit off, I make an adjustment, and that's as far as it goes. It's way more than that. Way more than that. All right, so now let's go deeper. So I mentioned to you that Nisan is one of these days which is which is which the Talmud says the world was created. Whether it was in deed or thought or whatever it was that the world was created. Now it's also the day that the tabernacle was finally finished and open for business. Now, our sages teach that the the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was a miniature, a microcosm of the entire world. So now you see a very nice, interesting parallel between the world itself, the universe itself being created, and the miniature of the universe also being finished and created on that same day, right? That's a very amazing parallel right there, but now... I want to add a step to it, and this was my thought. I got very excited about it. I'm sure other people have said it, but anyway, no one told me. So, so I just learned recently, as 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 you know, we've discussed it, that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, put up the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle was it was portable. You would put it up, and then as they journeyed through the desert, they would break it down, and they'd get to the new spot, and they'd build it again. Okay, so Moshe built it, took it down, built it, took it down, built it, took it down, for the seven days leading up to the first day of Nisan. And on the eighth day, that's when it was officially made and in business. Now, I've pointed out before, a thought that that still sort of arrests me, which is that It says in the Medrash that before this world was created, God created and destroyed many worlds. Before this world was created, God created and destroyed many worlds. Now, we just said that the Mishkan was a miniature of the world. And it was finally open for business on the eighth day, on the first day of Nisan. That means that what was being acted out before, before then was parallel to the way God created the world. Because Moshe was putting up the Mishkan and taking it down, putting it up, taking it down. In other words, this parallels the creation and destruction of many worlds before our world was finally created. Just like the Mishkan was finally opened for business on the first day of Nisa, right? But before then, it was put up and taken down. Created and destroyed, created and destroyed. Now, I just learned that there's an opinion that Moshe put it up and took it down three times each day. Now, I started thinking. So that means seven times three is 21. That means he put it up and took it down 21 times. That means on the eighth day, when he put it up, That was the 22nd time. Now 22, that's a big big number in Torah. 22 is the letters of the Aleph base. So now listen to this. What do we say that God created the world through the letters of the Aleph base? Here, here, on the 8th day, it was the 22nd time that the Mishkan was put up. And what do we say that the Mishkan is a miniature of the whole world, And God created the world through the letters of the olive base. And here it was the 22nd time that it was done, paralleling the 22 letters of the olive base. But it goes further. Because our sages explained to us that Betzalel, who was the one who was really the maker of the Mishkan, that the way he did it was through his knowledge of the letters of the olive base. So again, and then... How did we begin this entire talk? Through the creative powers of speech. What are you doing when you're speaking? You're pronouncing the olive base. You're creating worlds. Imagine all the speech that's going on in the world. All the worlds that are simultaneously being corrected and made and destroyed and erected. All the speech that's going on in the world, all the news media, all the internet, all the casual conversations, world's constantly being built and destroyed and built and destroyed. So, so now, Let's go further. And I want to share with you one of the deepest stories that I've learned in a long time. So, we're talking about the mastery of time. And Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chavir, one of our greatest Kabbalists in the Or Torah, in his commentary on the Milo Torah. said that, well, let me just introduce the thought by saying that the Zohar Chadash says that the entire Torah is contained within the Beis of Rishis. Okay, the whole Torah is contained within the first letter of the first word of the Torah, the Beis of Rishis. So we know that Beis is the number two, okay, because it's the second letter of the Aleph Beis. Of the alphabet, if you want to see just how <laughs> how, inf- how 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 influential the, the the Hebrew alphabet is, how about the fact that does olive bays sound like alphabet? I mean, it's it's exactly the same, right? Olive bays, alphabet. You know, I mean, if the world would just open up its eyes and see what it owes to the Jewish people, to the Torah. I mean, even on the most basic level of the word alphabet coming from Hebrew, right? I mean, it's, it's beyond. It's beyond. Like, the, we're just waiting for the world to wake up, you know? We're, and the world, unfortunately, is waiting for us to wake up. This is the problem. But when we wake up, the world will wake up. You know, I heard Rabbi Shlomo say one time that every day he prays that the whole world should understand who the Jewish people are. Okay. Not, not, not from a point of view, you should understand, not from a point of view of, of nationalism or, or jingoism or, or, or any of the negative attributes of, you know, we are the fatherland, you know, like that kind of crazy type of thinking. It's not coming from that place. It's coming from the place that we're trying to bring godliness down into this world. We're 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 trying to serve God. We're trying to open people's eyes up to the oneness of God. That that that's the point. That that's why we want the world to know what what it is that we're saying. Not not so there's some sort of mastery or superiority or or or, or something foolish like that. That that's not the point. So so let's go back to the the bases of Brishis. So again, the Zohar Chadash says that the entire Torah is contained within the first letter of the first word of the Torah. So Bez is the number two. And Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says something amazing. Remember, we're talking about time now. And remember, God created according to the Vilna Gon, and Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver was a student of the Vilna Gaon, a couple of generations later. But he, and, and that Breshis itself, which means with beginnings, right? That that was the creation of time. So the base of Breshis, says Rav Isaac the cover. it means two. It means the future and the past. That all of life is either it's going to happen or it just happened. It's going to happen or it just happened. It's going to happen or it just happened. That there is no present. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. It's gonna happen or it just happened. Right? But there's something above the bays of Breshis. And that's the Aleph of Anochi. Remember, when we got the Torah from heaven, when we got the, the tablets, the Luchos, The very first letter on the tablets was the letter Aleph. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God, your God. Says Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, through the Aleph of Anochi, through the Torah itself, you can rise up from this world, which is just future and past, and you can rise up to the realm of the present. (laughs) You can capture and live in the moment in the eternal present through the mitzvahs of the Torah, through the realm of the Torah, which is beyond time. It's a dimension beyond time. See, remember, we have to make an important distinction here. A lot of people think of eternity as the infinite expanse of time. This is a different definition. This is a much deeper definition of eternity. Eternity is a realm beyond time. And that's a realm of forever because it's not time-bound. And so through the Aleph of Anochi, through the mitzvahs of the Torah, you're able to transcend this world, the base of past, future, future, past, fast, future, future, past, where you can never capture the moment and you're actually able to live in the ever-present present, in the ongoing moment, because you're tapping directly into infinity and you're transcending nature. So if you need an advertisement for peace of mind, if you need an advertisement for immortality, if you need an advertisement for endless meaning in your life, I don't know where you're gonna find anything more just laid out than that. Because it's an escape but it's an escape into reality. <laughs>
1: <Whoa>. <laughs>
0: right? And then you have a foundation which is it's it's firmer than 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 anything because it's it's it is the definition of forever. And you bring peace into the world. So, so I want to go further. Um, As we've studied many times before, uh, every month has a correlation to the, um, to the yud k vav k to the four-letter name of God, also known as the Tetragrammaton, right? If you want to get fancy, or the Shema-vaya, right? This is this is an amazing name of God uh, spelled with the letters Yud, then He, then Vav, then He, right? We'll say yud k vav k but that's because we just want to build in ...extra levels of yira... ...of awe... ...that we don't even want to spell it out maybe even. So we'll say yudke vavke... ...but you know the what we're referring to. And if you have... ...from those four things... ...because the letter he is repeated twice... ...mathematically... ...from those four... ...you can have 12 permutations. If you want to rearrange the letters... ...you can have 12 rearrangements of, of that. And again... With a set of four, normally you would have more, but they're two of the same letters, so it comes out less. Okay? So there's twelve. And those twelve correlate with the months of the year. And so each month has a different permutation of the Yudke Vavke. And it's a description, it's actually a blueprint of the way divine energy is coming down into each month. Because each month has a different personality. Okay? Um, and this gets into the whole understanding of astrology and the zodiac and things like that, right? Um, but, but anyway, uh, that there, so, so the question is, Nisan, Nissan is this amazing month, right? So, and it's the beginning of the world. So what is the permutation of the Yudke vovke for the month of Nissan? This will teach us something important. Right, and the the answer is very fascinatingly, and we'll ha- we're going to try to give an explanation for this. It is the unscrambled version of the name. In other words, the arrangement of the letters for Nisan are yud, then hey, then vav, then hey. Right, because if you're going to have twelve permi- if you're going to have twelve combinations, 12 permutations, one of them has to be the straight spelling. So it happens to be that Nisan correlates with the straight spelling of the name. Now the question is why? And um, and by the way, it, it also correlates with the phrase, Yismuchu HaShemayim Tagel HaAretz that the, the heaven and the earth are going to rejoice. That phrase, which you find a couple of times in Tehillim, the first letters of those four words are Yud, then He, then Vav, then He. Okay? But it's, it's um, and we'll explain that a little bit later, but suffice it to say right now that basically the heavens and the earth are both rejoicing. That's an alignment. And it's an alignment of joy. Right? Where everything is in harmony and everything is coming together. But I want to I go further in the explanation. And to help explain why Nisan would be the unscrambled name of God, the just the straight spelling name of God, I want to just uh, talk about uh, Hannah and her prayer for a baby. Okay? So this is a very big... Um, this is a very big chapter in, in Tanakh, in, in, in the Torah, and, um, and it's so important that we read it on Rosh Hashanah, right? And, and what's going on is Chana really wants a baby very, very badly, and she's praying so hard. And in fact, her prayer is so good that we learn a lot of the halachas of Hadadavan from her prayer. And it was interesting because she it was a silent prayer and she was just just saying so many things and just talking but without any words coming out that the Klein Gadol, the high priest Ellie, thought that she was drunk and reprimanded her for coming into the holy temple being drunk, right? But she wasn't. She was just pouring out her heart. And there are amazing things about this prayer, but this is um, a whole subject in itself, so we're not going to go into it. But, but, but um, it's worth studying. And one of the things, just to really radically summarize the Talmud on this, one of the things that she prays for, basically, is for a normal child. That the child should be normal. And not too much of this and not too little of that. And she has, her prayer is answered by God, and she has as a son the prophet Shmuel, Now, the prophet Shmuel is one of the greatest people that ever lived, who's compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. Not only that, but he was the one who anointed King David. Okay? So, Shmuel, like, you pray for a normal child, and you get Shmuel? Right? That's like, you know... What's normal about that? But I heard an explanation that I loved, which was, it is normal. So, what... So... Help me here. What's, <laughs> how is it normal? So I heard one time an explanation uh, or a definition of genius. And it was that genius is the ability to see things how they actually are. So, to give an example, Einstein saw the curvature of space, but his genius was his ability to describe what's there. In other words, he didn't invent something. He just had the ability to see what was actually there. Shmuel, his greatness was he actually saw the way God is running the world. God communicated with him the way he's running the world. That's just the reality. That's just the fact. So now let's get back to the idea of Nisan. Why is Nisan, the month which is the month of miracles, right? Remember, Nisan has the word nas in it. Nase means a miracle. Why is the month of miracles just the simple, straightforward spelling of God's name? Because that's the reality. The reality is we live amongst miracles. That miracles define reality. I heard... Yehuda Solomon told me in the name of Reb Shlomo something so beautiful. I, I might be paraphrasing it, but this was the idea. He said, or Reb Shlomo said that people who say one plus one equals two, these are the people who make war in the world. People who say one plus one equals one, these are the people basically who are bringing like, redemption. Right? You know, I had a, a an argument with someone, and I, the other day, and it could have gotten heated, but I don't know. Something just popped into my head, and I I said to the person, like we were arguing about some point of uh, Judaism, halacha, and I said, you know what, we 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 can we can still be best friends and not agree. <laughs> and the person was so disarmed. <clears throat> Like, like, right? Remember what the Katsukah Rebbe says. When you meet someone who doesn't look like you, you're not surprised. So why are you surprised when you meet someone who doesn't think like you? Wow. Right? We, we can be best friends and not agree. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So, one plus one equals one. That means that God's oneness never disappears from the world. And you can have two different opinions. My opinion, that's one, plus your opinion, which is very different, which is one, right? But we still live within God's oneness. We're not hating each other. We're still accessing the ultimate oneness. One plus one equals one. We never leave the ultimate oneness, God's oneness, because we don't allow ourselves to be divided from each other. Or to be ultimately separate entities. Separate defined by hate. So we live in a world of miracles. Where God absolutely can do anything at any time. And nothing is difficult for God. That's, that is that is the most accurate description of this world. And that's, that's the truth. That's, that's the truth. Right? So again, that's why I would like to suggest that Nisan, which is the month of miracles, usually you think, wow, if I want to do a miracle, I have to go into some deep convoluted, Kabbalistic kind of thing that no one can understand, including myself, and I'll just try to do it. Like you would expect clarity to be the actual opposite of how you're going to manufacture a miracle, right? Like if you think of like the alchemists, the alchemists were working on something called the philosopher's stone. The philosopher's stone was something that they were going to invent in a lab where this substance, whatever they would touch, it would turn it into gold. Right? Because it would be some, I don't know, some kind of chemical... Thing that would trigger some sort of like series of transformations in in some other substance and then it would eventually arrive at being gold. they never found it <laughs> you know i don 't know that you you could do such a thing right, but they it was it was beyond convoluted, and they worked forever on these things. The greatest minds were working on this on this thing right, but the opposite is the fact because. Clarity itself is the understanding of God's presence and God can do anything which is miraculousness. So you have Nisan, which means miracles, and Yudke Vavke, which means utter simplicity and straightforwardness because that's the simple reality. That God can do anything at any time. So... So I heard in the name of Rabbi Nachman that now with Rosh Chodesh Nissan, and by the way, appropriately enough, Rabbi Nachman's birthday is Rosh Chodesh Nissan, Right? How could it not be, right? It's a new beginning, and his whole thing was that everyone, at any point in your life, you, you become depressed, you become frustrated, you want to give up. He says, okay, begin again right now. Just, right now, just begin again. So his birthday is the first day of the month of Nissan. It's the, the capital of beginnings, right? It's, that was like probably like, you know, part of the source of his soul. Begin again now. Begin again now. Just begin again right now. Begin again right now. Whatever's going on in your life, begin again right now. So in the name of Rabbi Nachman, he said that this is beginning a new new source of, just a new kind of like period in the year where now it's all about belief. It's all about amuna, And that the greatest chus, the greatest merit that we can have for ourselves is just our complete belief in God. And that amuna, right, we, we can never leave action and effort, right? Because we always have to be doing effort. That's, that's how you make a vessel to hold the light, is through your action, through your effort. But nonetheless, to believe more now, to believe even more, to believe in God more, to believe in the goodness of God more. And, and remember, I, I always call it bad math. Here's an example of bad math. People say God exists to the extent that I feel His presence. It's completely wrong. (laughs) God does not exist to the extent that you feel His presence. God exists whether you feel His presence or not. God's right there either way. God exists whether you understand it or not. And part of the amazing aspect of God is that even people who deny Him and deny his existence, and write books about how he doesn't exist, he allows them to live every single moment. <laughs> Who's allowing them to, to, to put their fingers on the computer? Who paid for the computer for them to write it on? Who made the trees that they're making the paper for, the, 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 the minerals that they make, the, the, the wires that, that are the conductors within the computer chips, you know, for them to distribute these thoughts? I mean, God's patience is 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 incredible, incredible. You know, you know. There's a word, Nora. Nun vav reshay. Hagibora, ha Nora, Right, God's greatness and His awesomeness. And there was a very interesting referendum among the the greatest leaders of the Jewish people back in the day. They said, you know what, maybe we should remove the word Nora, his awesomeness. Because here people are going against God all the time. And you, you see that no one's taking, that God isn't taking, a, a, you know, vengeance, so to speak, on them. Right? They're blaspheming him. And they're doing all sorts of terrible things. And you see, like, they they go untouched. So, is God really awesome? And then they decided, wait a second, can you imagine how awesome God is that he doesn't take revenge on them? (laughs) That he's so beyond, 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 that he's so loving and yet so aware at the same time that he doesn't strike them? That's really awesome. And so they said, okay, let's keep the word awesome. (laughs) We'll keep the word Nora in our prayers. You know, there's just as an aside, I don't know if you remember Schindler's list, but that exact scene is acted out in, in, the, in, the, in the movie where Schindler is in the bathroom or something. He's looking in the mirror and he wants to show, or not Schindler, the, um, the, actually the, 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 the Nazi, the bad guy in the movie. And uh, he wants to show how fierce and he is. And so he's going to do another horrible act of murder. And then he gets this idea, what if I forgive what if I don't I'll be even more fearsome because they'll realize that I have the power also over life right mm-hmm. this is like if you next time you see the movie you'll realize that that whole like exchange is actually based on on, on a, a gomoral you know but um but anyway, anyway let's wrap it up so So the first thing that we have to understand is that we're in a period of miracles, that we're in a new year right now. This is the first month of the first year, first day of the first year, right? We just started it. We have to understand also that um, the power of our own speech, right? our ability to create worlds, just like when God created the world, right? He created it through speech. we create worlds by forming perception and then from people's perception that influences the way that they act right and remember what the Zohar says about the two turtle doves not just the thing that we're not supposed to say but the other turtle dove is for what we could have said and we didn't to understand that every single interaction we have with another person we have the opportunity to say something encouraging and, and and to build people up, right? But I want to caution you also, but not to flatter. Flatter is a flattery is a different form of lying. You, you don't want to be a flatterer. It's a, it's it's a loathsome trait, right? But you want to build people up, so it has to come from a place of 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 real precision, right? Um, also to understand that. That God can do anything at any time. And that anytime time you get down, just tell yourself, begin again. I'm going to begin again anew right now. And I'll just really end with this one last thing. Uh, it was um, by the, the author of, uh, 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 I, think it, I think it was called, How to Make Friends and Influence People. Napoleon Carnegie Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie was it? Yeah, Uh, Dale 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 Carnegie. Dale Andrew Carnegie was the the steel magnate. Yeah, so so Dale Carnegie, I believe it was him who said it, Um, or 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 maybe it was Napoleon Hill. I don't know, but I, I heard it a while ago. It was a series of radio broadcasts that he gave. I think in the 1930s. What he did was he. He trailed the, the, um, the major industrialists who were all like, in, our, in modern day terms, like, like billionaires. In fact, I saw, I think it was in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, that there was an argument he was making that, that Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, was the richest man that ever lived based on relative wealth and time. So, so the industrialists at the beginning of the 1900s were like, their wealth was really like crazy crazy i mean like his, his, in historic terms okay so carnegie was one of these guys and and this person trailed all these people and wanted to learn basically the secrets to success and then put them out in a in in, in a book and one of the things that he said that really impressed me and i think it's a great tool for us to just use on a on a regular basis was if you, it sounds so simple, but believe me, this is, this is very, very deep. If you make a mistake, right, ask yourself, what did, I do? What, what did I do wrong? How can I learn from that? And then don't do it again. That's huge. That's a huge, huge piece of information. Ask yourself, what did I do wrong? Let me learn from it, and I won't do it again. Do you know what that does? That transforms defeat into victory. It transforms defeat into victory. I'll tell you something else that it does, because I was thinking about it. I was thinking, why is that so deep? It sounds so simple, but I know that it's very, very deep. Because I've done it a couple of times, not enough, but I've done it a couple of times, and I always feel very good whenever I do it. And I'm, I was asking myself, why is this making me feel so good, you know? I think another aspect of why it's so powerful is because it turns your direction forward instead of backwards. You see, a lot of people, when they make mistakes, all they're doing is they're concentrating on the mistake that they make. So all they're looking is behind them into the past. And what this technique allows you to do is it allows you to say, how can I learn from that? and not do it again, it turns you around and it points you into the future. And now you're not just just living in your own muck. Now you're looking forward into an untainted future. And that, psychologically, is, is worth a million dollars, you know? Okay, so we should all be blessed. We should all hear good news. And we really, 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 we should just experience the oneness and the goodness of God. Here are some questions and answers.
1: You were talking about infinity existing beyond time. And maybe you said this and I didn't somehow catch yeah. it. Doesn't it still behoove us to strive for that in this realm? I mean, there's a, there's a place for remembering and learning from the past. And there's a place for... Trying to plan for the future as best yes. you can, right. but isn't it still, to the extent that we can do it, a good idea to to strive for the present?
0: Yes, yeah, and and you know, like I think in today's parlance, they refer to it as mindfulness. Right. You know, that's kind of the fancy term for it. Mm-hmm. Um, living in the moment. They called it, you know, before mindfulness caught on, um, but it's the same idea. Um, I think I'm definitely, or I think you know, that my, my understanding anyway is that Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Haver would definitely agree with that, but I think he's adding an extra dimension to it. Mm-hmm. That he's saying that the the, the true ultimate present, the, the ongoing present, is really accessed through um uh the Torah. Mm-hmm. I mean to just to really simplify it, that that would be the idea. So that um because you see you know, if you think about it, if you, you know, I'll give you, I'll tell you a story. Really one of my favorite stories. Uh, there's a mitzvah, it's called the, the mitzvah of Leviah, actually. It's kind of funny because Leviah usually is referred to as a, like a, um, a funeral. Um, but Leviah actually has another meaning, maybe even a more common meaning, which is to escort someone. So, and, and it makes sense that a funeral would be called a levaya, because you're escorting them from this world to the next world, right? So that makes sense. But, but there's a more sort of like bread-and-butter term for levaya, or application, which is um, the mitzvah of escorting a guest out of your house. Okay? And, you know, it's funny, and I think from my, my generation probably, um, you know, the people who didn't grow up with um, Torah mitzvahs per se, um nonetheless, I, I'll speak for my parents. My parents gave me over so much in the name of, quote-unquote, meaning to be like a decent human being, like a, a you know, with, with, proper, with, 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 with proper mitos, proper, you know, um, respect. Um, and, and one of the things that they taught me was always you have to uh, walk your guests to the door. Now, that's a very great Torah mitzvah. And so, there were so many mitzvahs that I was learning growing up, that I was just learning them in the name of menschlechayt. Not necessarily like, okay, it says it here, this chapter, this verse, whatever it is. But anyway, here's the story. So, so I, my family had dinner at someone's house one Friday night. And the person whose house we had is a very special, very special person. And I see that he's walking us to the door. And really, the truth is, you you know, if you want to really do it right, you do it um, about ten feet outside your door. Daladamos, right? You you walk them, and then you just walk them part of the journey, and then that's it. You know, you go back into your house. So, I see he was walking us to the door, which is very nice. Then I see he walks us, you know, the daladamos outside the the house. You know, about the ten feet out of the house. And then I see he walks us to the end of the block, and then I see he walks us another block, and then another block. And I was just like, wow, wow. And now here's the reason why I'm telling you this story. He keeps on walking us. And I tell him, you know, you you don't have to walk us. You know, I must have said that a few times. And he's like, no, no, no. And then I looked at the cement. And I saw my feet walking toward my house. And I saw his feet walking toward my house. And I thought, wow, my feet and his feet are right now in two completely different dimensions. I'm just walking home. He's doing the mitzvah of Leviah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is going to every single step that he takes, he has eternal reward. Each one of these steps that he's taking literally is going to last forever. And just if you just looked with normal eyes, you just see two people walking on the sidewalk. And yet there were two dimensions simultaneously overlapping and being accessed at that moment. So what I'm trying to tell you is that if you really want to live in the present, but the real present, the eternal present, the present which is beyond time, you access it through the realm of Torah mitzvah. Right? Because otherwise you could just be eating breakfast. But if I'm eating breakfast in order to have strength to serve God, then that moment is the equivalent of him walking me home. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. And then that's the true mindfulness. Because that's the mindfulness that you exist amidst God right now.
1: But doesn't it also take... Uh, confirmation, you know, from the dummies or the undocumented geniuses to say yeah, because Charles Manson probably thought he was a genius, and then he carried out his, um, you know, mission. Well, for and, right. and, and I think yeah, it was, it was, well, but no well, yeah, it, well, and he, right. that's right. That's a good. Example How about Van
0: Gogh? Van Gogh didn't sell a painting. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Well, okay. So I guess that answers that question. In, you see, in the sense that okay, it, it, it so, okay, so, later,
0: so look, but, so, so, okay, so finish your point. Well,
1: no, I mean, he, he kind of answered the question because there's geniuses that get recognized later as geniuses. Right. And geniuses but, that get you know
0: what, I'll say later. something a little controversial here, which is that I, I would even go with what you're saying for a moment. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, by the way. Mm-hmm. But that, I would say that Manson may have had a particular genius, the, the genius to recruit people to do murderous, horrific acts. Mm-hmm. Right? But, the more salient point here is that genius is not an absolute. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the lesson to learn for her. In other words, if you want to... You see, look, Moshe is the greatest person that ever lived. It says that even Moshiach will not have the level of prophecy that Moshe had. Moshe is the greatest person that ever lived. God eulogizes Moshe in the Torah with two words. He says he was an evid Hashem. He was a servant of God. That's it. That's the ultimate. You want to strive for some appellation? The appellation is not billionaire. And it's not genius. Right? It's not, you know, number one most powerful person in in fill-in-the-blank. It's none of those things. If you actually want to strive for an appellation, for a title, it's Ebed Hashem. That's it. That's it. Because that means you're existing within reality and you're doing the absolute most to impact the world.